G'day listeners, welcome to the Braintainment Podcast. This show is an interesting mix between pop culture and personal development with a very wide range of guests that come on the show for a chat from the sports space, philosophy, health and fitness, entertainment and everything in between. The idea is to entertain or to educate you guys and hopefully sometimes both, either through just myself or with the guests that come on the show as we explore different ideas and concepts and have some really interesting conversations. Okay, welcome back to the podcast. Today we're joined by Jake McKeon, founder of Coconut Bowls, uh, now with hundreds of thousands of bowls sold each year, if I'm not mistaken. Business built on sustainability, which we'll unpack a bit today, of course, uh, and a huge brand now with well over half a million loyal social followers. And if you're not already familiar with Coconut Bowls, uh, quickly jump on when you get a chance to their Instagram page, find their account and prepare your eyes to be very pleased with uh, with the visuals and prep your taste buds to start salivating. It's a great product and I'm really excited to learn more about your story as an entrepreneur, mate, and, and the journey of putting this company together. So with that said, welcome, Jake. Thanks, Liam. Uh, thanks for the great intro and um, awesome to be here. So looking forward to having a chat. Well, mate, to kick things off, uh, I mean, the company name might, might give it away a bit, but just as a context, <laughs> what are coconut bowls? Of course, in the context of you know what customers are buying, what are what are coconut bowls? Yeah, so basically, uh, coconut bowls are the half shell of a coconut with with no uh, white meat left in there. So basically, uh, they're a byproduct of the the coconut industry. Um, we source bowls from from uh, coconuts have been harvested for their oil. So they're strong, they're thick, they're hard shells, and with a little bit of love, uh, they make beautiful bowls. So what's the what's the origin story? Let's unpack that a little bit. So, I mean, I read a bit, I came across your story, I mean, and uh, I think it was back in 2016 in Bali, you came up with the idea. Can you talk us through that a bit? And I suppose yeah. for you, when did you, when did you first start to think, hang on, this might actually have a, a business opportunity here. Was that all kind of a quick process or yeah what's yep. the origin story there it was very very quick mate so um i basically saw what was the first coconut shell uh handicraft i'd ever seen and within a split second i had the idea for coconut bowls and um so it was the end of 2015 i just spent six months traveling through central america europe and then made a final stop off uh in bali on the way home and um, I was just at a local market and just minding my business, having a little look around and, and came across these beautiful uh, coconut shells that had been crafted and um, painted and turned into these souvenirs that were being sold as tourists. And I, I saw what the, the crafts people were doing to the, to the shells and I couldn't believe how beautiful they were. So. Um, as you know, half a coconut is, is shaped like a bowl, so mm. it just made sense to me, and uh, that's how it started. All right. So, what's the process look like for actually making these bowls? I, I think I saw a video of you, mate, um, over in Vietnam. It might have been working with some locals, and yep. um, I think you're talking about the price being set there. So, it's obviously a starting point, but then uh, what's the process look like to end up in my hands, for example, if I want to get one? Yeah, so the entire supply chain basically begins with uh, everyday families, you know, like my own, like your family. Um, people have a bit of land in this region of Vietnam called Ben Trae. So they're not what you would imagine a big commercial company. It's this beautiful little region um, 
tucked in alongside the Mekong River and where that meets the Pacific Ocean. And they call it the Kingdom of Coconuts because almost every single person that lives there is involved in uh, the coconut business. So (laughs) on a global scale, um, billions of coconut shells go to waste. As I mentioned earlier, they're a byproduct of the coconut industry. So Mm. all the coconut oil we use in cooking, that's in skin and hair products and uh, the desiccated coconut that we put on top of smoothie bowls and cakes, they're the products that coconuts are harvested for. And then essentially the largest part of the coconut, which is the shell and the husk, gets burned or discarded as landfill. So they're very... Uh, you know, they're, they're not a big part of these coconut families' operations. But um, since we started our business in Bali and we're now in Vietnam, we, we, we work with um, uh, an artisan group and they basically work with these farmers to source the shells that are suitable for us to turn into bowls. And uh, based on their crop and the size and how easy it is for them to to source these shells for us, we we pay them at a price that they set. So what you said earlier, they they determine the the price of their labor essentially for collecting these shells and then um, they pack them up into these big bags and sizes for us and we basically purchase them from them for the ton um, and then we, we take them to our artisan workshops where we have a team of, of a dozen full-time staff um, who each take part in the the labor process, which is simply using various um, sanding techniques to to take the hair and uh, the husk off the shell um, and to the end point where they're they're polished and hydrated with coconut oil, uh, wrapped up in a recyclable tissue paper, packed into boxes and then shipped to our warehouses where we then send to the end uh, end consumer. Yeah, wow. Did that surprise you? You mentioned that um, you know the shells essentially being wasted. Did that surprise you that for so long, you know that, that that's been, I suppose, the norm? Uh, yeah, to, I'd never thought about it, and mm. um, you know, in these, in particular, what I've experienced in these Southeast Asian communities, they do have some use for the shells. You know, a lot of the, them work in the arts and craft industry, so. They're, they're crafting, you know, maybe a couple of hundred a month um, and painting them um, and, you know, some of them make them into little bags that are mainly just kind of tacky souvenirs. Um, but most of the time they're just burned. So I was I was, I was shocked um, because as soon as I thought that they should be used as bowls, I, I just couldn't believe that um, – you know, the concept yeah. that we had hadn't really been done before or at least hadn't been introduced to Western society. Mm. Um, I want to talk about reasons for one, starting the business and then obviously growing into the to what you've been able to do. Um, you sort of touched on there that when you when you first started exploring, they, they, you kind of liked the idea that it wasn't this massive company in terms of where the supply chain starts. Um, you mentioned there that that the price is set, of course, by the locals. Is that important to you? And I suppose, how do you find that? How do you find that sweet spot between passion and purpose? And um, we'll talk about sustainability in a sec, but also profit. Like, how do you, how do you kind of find the um, the happy medium between all those considerations? Yeah, it's been something that I've learned over time, and um, I was very fortunate that this wasn't my first business. So I had a little bit of experience to touch on and work out the pricing metrics when I was looking to sell the product. But in the initial stages, 
I I had no idea it would turn to the business that it has today, and uh, it was simply me asking the the craftsman at the market if he could make me a hundred of these shells that I envisioned into bowls and packed them into my suitcase and brought them home. Um, and it wasn't really until you know six months down the track where um, I'd actually ordered five thousand. Um, and when they came to Australia, they were basically raw coconut shells. So um, the the craftsman who I've been working with to date, you know, he basically had outsourced this because it was too big for him to do himself. And um, right. I actually ended up with an inferior product. And that's that was kind of the the time when I thought, well, this has had a really good, um, you know, Entry to to a potential business as now my, now is the time that I need to actually work out the supply chain and see what the long term might look like and um, very fortunately it, it worked out um, to be a really smooth process when I when I moved to to looking at Vietnam um, Vietnamese people are really great they're very transparent um, and they're very honourable and they like to 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 make long term. Um, relationships with the people that they work with and um you know the pricing i I just kind of um essentially set the product based on what i thought would be a reasonable price point for people to 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 purchase and um the the passion and the purpose side of the business is something that's that's developed over time as i've got to know these uh these artisan these farmers a little bit better um and also honed in on i guess the the core values of myself and the brand which um has has very much led down that sustainability path because um i think that it's it's one of the biggest challenges facing our, our our planet and society and i think it's the biggest impact that we can have by changing our own behavior Mate, I love that. Um, do you think that's helped keep your head in the game? And what I mean by that is like, and I want to talk about some of your um, previous uh, businesses before this because I know there'd be potentially well, be people listening. I know myself um, anyway. I've had different projects over the years. Some have worked, some haven't. And it can be hard when you're an entrepreneur and um, trying to go through the ups and downs. And I find that solely focusing on like an end result or outcome um certainly a financial outcome it's easy just to it's easy just to burn out uh so did you find having that i suppose that passion and that purpose like you, said, you, you sort of built and cultivate over time did that help see through what i'm sure have been you know some challenging times as well yeah uh, i think f- for me you know i've always wanted to do something that meant something essentially and i think you know over time as i've developed as you know an entrepreneur or a business owner um i've started to identify what my core values are in business and what makes me tick and i can certainly tell that you know when you're providing a service or a good that makes people happy or they're having a great experience with it uh it helps you hone in on doing more of that um and i think that you know when I first, my very first business and when I started looking at starting my own business and entrepreneurship, I was very much driven by, uh, you know, potentially the, the financial rewards from it. Um, and that was because everyone who seemed to be in the limelight, you know, of entrepreneurship was making a hell of a lot of money and that was what they were known for, how rich they got. And so I thought that potentially that's that's what I wanted. But as, you know, I... 
I worked through some failures and um, some small successes. I started to develop what I wanted and, um, you know, I certainly wouldn't be satisfied if I was making a lot of money and had zero impact um, or positive impact and wasn't doing something good. And you know, I've, I've learned over time that my real driver and core value is freedom. And um, I think like when you run an efficient business and something that does well, I can have that freedom. Whereas if I was constantly kind of change things to draw as much value out for me, that would, you know, th- that would have to be the core driver. Yeah, man. and I think having that clarity that you've clearly got, I think that's huge um, and really interesting. With it, what are some of the other insights, I suppose, that you learned along the way, either through building coconut bowls or some of the previous businesses? Um, have there been some sort of standout uh, lessons that have stuck with you in, on your business journey? Uh, yeah, yeah, for sure. Um, well, I think that identifying what your core values or core motivators are, that's very much the most important. Um, because how are you going to measure success if you don't know what you're working towards Um, and something that's true to yourself? So that's the biggest one. Um, And I think probably the biggest lesson I've I've taken out from, from business and entrepreneurship is that it needs to be looked at somewhat like a a trade apprenticeship where you need to put the time in over a period of years to gather all the skills to be able to make a business a success. Um, And it shouldn't necessarily, depending on your passion and how clear you are on your project, the first thing that you start shouldn't really be the end game for you because you're going to make a lot of mistakes on that first first project or first business. And, Rather, if you choose an industry or an interest, mine has definitely been online. And I think at the beginning, I didn't realize, but over time, I've realized it's because of that freedom. Whereas I'm working online, I don't physically have to be in one space yeah. and the business can operate, you know, when I'm not actively there. So um, they're two big things, I think, like just looking at, you know, the future and investing in yourself and your learnings. Um, yeah, and, that's huge. And, and the core value side of things. I think a lot of people fall down there already, Jake, is is not identifying what those values are and they're just sort of chasing a feeling and they don't really know what that looks like and it's ambiguous. I mean, I'm speaking from experiences myself and I know just with conversations I've had with other people, you know, it seems like to be a common thread, it's easy to get stuck in that chasing, chasing, chasing and not even having any real clarity of what you're actually going after. So, I think just taking the time to identify what it is exactly that's important to you, um, for you, you know, freedom um, and having those core values is a really good place to start. And then, yeah, just the skill acquisition. That's something that I talk a lot about on this show is like this idea of you, of getting better and, and prioritizing the process, the outcome. I think it's important to have goals and be excited by things for sure. And, you know, I don't take away from that. I have things that I'm chasing, but um, I think falling in love with the process and actually appreciating what you're learning and what you're getting better at over time um, yeah. it just allows it gives you longevity which you probably need yeah it does and you know just speaking in a business sense strictly kind of here and maybe in other aspect of life as well but so many people get uh, turned off or disheartened by a business that doesn't grow as fast as they imagine and yeah. you know 12 months 2 years is a long time to not be able to you know, generate an income that can support yourself and let you live the life that you're looking for. But that's why I think it's it's really investing in the process and the learning and the experience and 
not shooting for the stars first time around and just spending time in the trenches learning about uh, what makes things work um, because that experience is invaluable and it's certainly like I, I've, I've done I think five businesses before this and you know the first four <laughs> I was going backwards for a long time so. <laughs> you're not the only one but then but then you know all of a sudden I have a little bit of success and it kind of feels like it happens overnight but yeah there's those those five years of experience and lessons and failures and stuff that um you know help you become that overnight you know achievement overnight success yeah for sure for people that don't know whether it's you or anyone else you know who's been able to have some success i think it's easy to see that kind of not the end result but see where you're at now and and not see the the work and the setbacks are going um to getting you there like we sort of see the sexy sort of you know successful business and i think that's what people want but um man like you kind of suggested there there's a lot of a lot of challenges along the way um have there been any just on challenges uh any sort of specific ones that have stood out to you with with building coconut bowls whether it's you know you sort of touched on there um ordering in that big that first order and the and the product wasn't what you're expecting have there been any other big setbacks or or challenges that have you know Throwing a spare in the works? Yeah, so that first one was the big one because I'd actually pre-sold about 500 of those uh, those coconut bowls and yeah. it was the first time I'd gone into retail and I had you know an order from a, uh, an organisation that had about 20 stores around Australia. So I was actually in my apartment sanding these coconuts, washing them, polishing with coconut oil. I was doing it myself. <laughs> so... Yeah. <laughs> you know, I kind of learned, you know, a couple of things from that. You know, don't rush. Just take your time, you know. Mm. Uh, otherwise, you, you, you're potentially letting people down. Um, but there's certainly been challenges. Last year, for example, um, I spent six months in America and the intention to to go there was to actually uh, follow some leads to get into big box retail um, like uh, Whole Foods and potential stores that could really, you know, take the business to the next level. And um, within a week or two of being over there, um, you know, and talking to these big, big organisations and looking at their contract terms, I realised that that actually wasn't the direction to take the business. And it was, you know, kind of along the lines of more of a consumerism, selling more, making less, having less impact. Um, and then it was a really challenging time because we were essentially in America for six months, uh, working from cafes again. And I was managing a team, you know, some in Australia. I had one staff member there. Um, I had various contractors around the world and, um, you know, and certain things weren't going right for the business. So, um, that was really challenging. And, um, I guess I, I, I kind of got, um, a little bit even clearer then um, about the kind of business that I wanted to operate and the kind of, you know, day-to-day um, operations that I want, wanted the business to look like. So um, that's a few of the kind of bigger challenges along the way. Um, but, you know, every day certain things happen at the moment with, with with COVID and the pandemic, our, um, our, our warehouse that ships a product to people in Australia um, is in Melbourne and they're operating at 40% 
um, capacity and Australia Post aren't scanning as they put, collect, you know, the items from there. So, um, you know, there's lots of customers that are having to wait longer than they they thought or they intended to um, for their products to arrive. So it's a it's it's certainly it's, a tricky time, isn't it? It's first world problems, but they're kind of things that can become a nightmare as a business owner. Yeah, for sure. Um, I just want to double. I want to go back to the start a little bit. Um, I just want to. I want to look at how you go from or where you where you first start. So you have the idea in Bali, and you bring home a hundred. Was it? Was that on that yeah. first trip? You brought a hundred back. Yep. Yeah, hundred. And, and so, who are your first customers? Are they are they your mates, family? Like, how do you how do you go from zero to those first few customers to see what you know and get feedback and stuff like that? Where do you start? So I was lucky that I actually had a, a health food business at the time um, selling superfood powders. So uh, if you don't know coconut bowls, um, a large majority of our customers, the primary use for them is to, to eat their smoothie bowls or their breakfast out of them. And my previous brand was actually selling products where people had the same purpose. So um, it was a very easy integration where I offered um, – those the coconut bowls for free when people spend a certain amount of money but um what i did differently to my previous brand was i i actually gifted some to people for free and asked them to to take a photo of what they created in their coconut bowls on social media and to this day that decision in our kind of marketing plan and trying to encourage our customers to do the marketing for us um but Taking photos of their of what they're creating in the coconut bowls, that has been a large driver for the brand, and um, I think it's it's just having a clear call to action for those first initial customers or people who experience the brand, and because that's what starts the community aspect and how people use your products. Yes, it seems like you've built a real community around the brand, um, and then like you said, like you kind of alluded to there, they've those customers and has almost been your PR team for you. And I've heard, um, find it really fascinating because one of the guys that I listen to a lot is Tom Billy. He's the founder of uh, Quest Nutrition. Yep. Um, so Impact the, Theory. The Impact Theory, yeah, that's the one. So um, I bloody, I love him. So anyway, in a nutshell, as you, you might already be aware, then uh, they were very big when social media first came about with um, for, uh, the different platforms at the time and just giving products out for free and, and getting the people – to be super honest about their feedback and then if they liked it, to share it with family and friends and then this community grew from there. And hearing you talk about that, it's it's almost little wonder as to how you've been able to build this. I mean, looking at your looking at your Instagram account as we talk right now, mate, and you know, we, almost 10,000 photos on here. It looks – I sort of joked at the start, but uh, it looks very sexy, very appealing. Um, and I imagine a lot of this stuff is just your customers sharing what they're getting up to with your product. Yeah. Well, every week we have – close to 2,000 photos shared from our customers. Um, and I think taking it back to what we were speaking about a minute ago of how we got started, and I think our business is driven by community, and I think the the way that the community starts and the way that people interact with your brand at the very initial stages, that is what sets the trend for the future. And by cultivating you know, the type of community and positivity that we did at the beginning that has helped drive the behavior of every single person that's came into our community or bought our products in the past, in the future over the past four or five years. Mm. 
That's super valuable advice for anyone trying to get into business, entrepreneurship of any sorts. I think a lot of people get stuck, you know, just thinking on that um, buy for this, sell for that, and just focusing on that first product as opposed to thinking a little bit bigger picture and going, okay, how do I build a fan base? How do I build a community of raving fans and actually um, create something that they want to be a part of? And then the rest, to an extent anyway, takes care of itself. Absolutely. I, I totally agree with that. And you see the same thing in, in sport. You know, some teams mm. have a really strong culture and when new people enter that, they get brought into that culture. And sports businesses are the same. It's, you know, the core foundations at the start that sets everything for everyone new that comes into the organization or community moving forward. Yeah, it really does. Mate, it really does. Um, all right, let's talk about uh, the process a little bit more again. I think, if I'm not mistaken, you actually went on Shark Tank, and uh, could you talk us through that experience? What was that like, and um, yeah, how did that unfold for you? Yeah, so um, I think we were just over two years old when I was on Shark Tank, and um, I'd actually got three quarters of the way through an application after the first year, um, and then I, I never went ahead with it, and um the one of the producers for Shark Tank, I think so they'd probably come across us on social media and then recognize that we had a incomplete application and reached out uh to me. Well, to they reached out I, to you. Yeah, to see if I wanted to pitch. And um I ended up going to kind of like a, a sample session and, and pitched our story. Uh and they loved it and um I was I was lucky enough to be invited onto the show. And um I hadn't really given much thought of raising uh, capital for the business because we were we, we grew quite quickly, and um, yeah. you know I I was kind of bootstrapping the business at the time, so um, we had cash flow there. But I thought it would be a, a, a fantastic um, experience, both in my personal development, um, mm-hmm. you know, having to get past all the nerves and stuff like that, and also getting exposure to some really successful people and. Um, as I got closer to the show, I, start, I started getting a little bit clearer about the kind of deal that I would accept or pitch for, um, and it was it was quite a whirlwind um, kind of experience because um, you know I was in Melbourne at the time and I flew up to Sydney, and you know as you would imagine for anything going on TV, there's like makeup and hair and styling and all this stuff, and yeah. <laughs> they basically push you out on stage um, without giving you any idea of what's to come. Um, and yeah. for anybody who's seen the episode, um, there's, you know, an introduction to me at the beginning just standing there meditating <laughs> with my eyes <heart laughs> closed. And um, I kind of walked out on stage and nobody even really acknowledged me. So rather than wig myself out, um, worried about what's happening and there's a lot more people in the room than just the the sharks so there's cameras all over you and I was like all right I'm just going to close my eyes gather my thoughts breathe and uh that was the entertainment of the show when it, when it actually <laughs> um, went to air but um it was a really great experience I was I was lucky enough to have four out of the five um sharks offer me a deal and um you know in the spur of the moment I did accept a deal um but when it came down to progressing to the contract and, and moving forward. I decided that, um, you know, investment wasn't the path I wanted to go down. So is that, and for those listening, I'm sure they could probably join the dots, but just as a basic snapshot, mate, the idea is is what? They they offer you a certain amount of capital in exchange for equity in the business. Is that 
generally yes. how it works? Yep. Yeah, correct. So um, I got offered $300,000 in exchange for 16% of the business, which valued the business at around about $1.8 million, I think, yep. um, which is you know a, a nice valuation and um, all that. And um, But it actually wasn't you, – you didn't progress really with the discussions until the show aired, uh, which was five or six months down the track. So – by the time it went to air and um, we got a nice little bit of PR from it, as, as you can imagine, um, the business had grown quite a bit in that six months and um, agreeing to the same deal that I had six months earlier um, and kind of just learning a little bit about their ideas and where they wanted to take their business, it was pretty clear to me that um, it wasn't really aligned with my vision for the brand. and. You know, the the investment in terms of financial wasn't going to make the world of difference. Um, certainly, having their support and experience uh, to lean on would have been invaluable, really. But um, potentially losing a bit of control and direction of my own future was was something that I didn't really want to do. Yeah, fair enough. Fair enough. So, so then. Uh- I want to talk about marketing a little bit more. So we've touched on the idea of building a community, which I think is crucial. Have did you though, or have you have you worked with particular people that you have made a decision to connect with? Or what I mean by that is um, whether it be ambassadors or influencers, people with a database of whether what do you want to call them, followers or customers or community, whatever. Yep. Um, have you made some sort of key decisions along the way, or partnered with key people or brands along the way that have? That you've seen have had a big impact. Yeah, we've we've we're so lucky because our product, um, you know, fits in so seamlessly with a lot of people who are interested in health and sustainability and and wellness in general. You know, when they feature our products in their content, it's not a blatant advertisement. It's it, it's something that complements their lifestyle. So the product itself allows us makes us very fortunate in terms of marketing and collaborations. Um, but my own philosophy um, in terms of partnering with people and and different brands is it's it can't be strictly measured by a return on investment or how much you're going to make out of this partnership or what it's going to do. It's all about what adds value to our brand um, and that's been the driving factor with who we've collaborated with. And, um, you know, we've collaborated with probably the biggest, you know, plant-based health um influencer in the world um we we collaborated and created a product bundle together with with her design on the bowl um and i think it's you know it's it's creating mutual value a lot of these so-called influencers or or personalities they they don't have the chance to create a product themselves or or their audience and followers don't get something tangible that they can engage and relate to these people so that's been the 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 way that we've tried to work with these people um, because we feel like it's a win win for everyone it's a win for us because we get to show our products to a completely new audience it's a win for the influencer because they get to associate with our brand um, and the same way that we're getting exposed to a new audience our audience and community are getting exposed to a really really awesome person that is inspirational motivational and lives you know a lifestyle that we would all you know love to be able to enjoy so yeah absolutely 
So then on the sustainability front, mate, um, it is a undoubtedly important partic- uh, with the way the world's moving, but to some extent it's become a buzzword and I think it gets thrown around um, a lot. But for you, I think it's pretty clear that's super important and it's more than just, you know, being on trend. So um, is that something that you've always taken an interest in? Uh, and just to give you some more context, for myself, admittedly, you know, up until quite recently, I'd probably just had my attention elsewhere, but it's... You know, it is interesting to see that the way the world's moving and, and the impact that we can have. Um, so for you, mate, was that always something that was kind of on your mind? Uh, I, I'd love to say yes, but really it wasn't. Um, I think the biggest thing for me prior to coconut bowls was my love of nature and the ocean. Um, so my association with sustainability then was kind of plastics in the ocean and keeping our beaches clean and um, I was very much conscious of my contribution to waste and sustainability, but I didn't actively try and make a difference really other than what I was, you know, the, 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 the small choices I, I took. Um, yes. But I think because we're using a product from nature and it's, you know, we're using humans to actually create the product, um, it's sustainability both in an environmental sense and in a humanitarian sense because you're providing jobs and money for people. Um, and the product um, can in some way replace single-use plastics if you're using and you know, getting takeaway bowls or um, getting a plastic straw instead of we, we sell bamboo straws. Um, but I think the biggest thing for us and my brand is the leadership position that we take and we try and educate everyday people that they themselves can make a difference. And the more that I've been involved in sustainability and I've started to learn about climate change, global warming, plastic pollution, everything that's really associated with um, sustainability, I realise that it can't be up to big business and government to drive change because they're too motivated by money or it's too hard so the only way we can get through this is from everyday people like you and me changing our behavior and i think that the inspiring thing is that we can make small changes that can make a big difference and the classic example of that is something really tangible like take getting a plastic water bottle a day or getting a takeaway coffee cup if you actually put that in a single bin over a period of time you can see how much you're contributing whereas if you simply replace that with a reusable alternative you you're not creating any of that and it's just something visually that you can you can see and i think that once people get on a little bit of a role um in their you know environmental conservatism they feel so inspired and they feel proud of of being part of something that's much bigger than themselves and um, I think it's going to be a community movement that makes the change that's necessary and um, I want to be a bigger part of that. Well said. I like it. Mate, I've got two more for you before we uh, before we wrap things up. And, again, really appreciate you carving out the time. Um, I feel like I could just talk for hours with you, mate, just about you know business and your product and your lessons along the way, but um, I'll respect your time. One one I want to run by you is um, for anyone that's listening that whether they want to go into business or some sort of solopreneur opportunity or just do something a bit different, um, 
and you may not have anything, but but do you have any thoughts or advice around where to start or for anyone listening who just feels a bit stuck, you know, the, the cliche or the stereotype, dead-end job, they want to do something, whether it is sustainability-driven or if they just want to – they've got a cool idea they want to explore. Um, it sounds like you've always been somewhat entrepreneurial um, with a few business before Coconut Bowls anyway, but – yeah, for that person that's feeling stuck, where do you start? Like, do you do you write a business plan? Do you do you connect with friends and family? Do you um do you go travelling for six months? I think you're saying before you got yeah. to Bali. And <laughs> what's the what's yeah. the starting point? I don't think there's any real um, strict advice, or there's no strict path you need to follow. Um, I think the biggest thing is, and you know, a lot of business coaches and courses and stuff, they're always teach you how to make your first million dollars or something like that some kind of thing that sounds really lucrative and um you know only very few people get to reach that milestone so i think i would look at you know what your core motivator is and i think you know it's something funny i was talking to my dad about it recently because my dad's always been self-employed but i didn't know where he got it from and his dad my grandpa his advice to my dad was that the safest business, you, the safest job you can ever have is your own. And that really resonated with me, especially during the middle of the pandemic, is people, their, their job or their income can be taken away so quickly when it's out of your control. Um, and, you know, if someone's on a $60,000, $70,000 salary, um, those people, if they want to work for themselves and regain some some freedom or find something passionate or give a crack themselves. They don't need to be, you know, chasing in a million-dollar business or anything like that. They need to, you know, look at how they can replace their income. And certainly $50,000 when you're self-employed is really the same as $65,000 if you've got a job because um, there's certain things you can do to, you know, to help your tax and, and whatnot. Oh, of course. Or anything like that. Yeah, but, yeah. You know, if you break that they, down. Wait, so, they do the magic. <laughs> <laughs> but $50,000... You know, income that's you know a thousand dollars a week. How can I make a thousand dollars a week? Or it's one hundred fifty dollars a day. What can what kind of value can I provide the world for one hundred fifty five hundred fifty dollars a day? And Ooh, all like of a, all of a sudden, it probably doesn't sound as out of reach as it may have been initially. And um, that's you know that's something that I've never really applied to my own entrepreneurship journey. But I think that's the reality of how simple it can be, um, especially if you've got something in your life that you're incredibly passionate about. I'm sure there's some kind of product or some kind of service that you can offer that industry that is going to enable you to be self-employed and in somewhat control of your future. Yeah, I think breaking it down like that too, it helps Like it helps remove the overwhelm from looking at a too grander goal. And so, and that overwhelm is is almost the enemy of execution sometimes, where it's like, where the fuck do I actually start? This seems inconceivable. But to break it down to, okay, what is, what you know, whether it's one hundred fifty dollars a day, whatever the uh, example is. But then, like you said, what value can I provide for that? Is probably the perfect question to ask. Um, yeah. Well, I'll, I'll use an example when. So when I um, the first business I had that had somewhat success was the business before coconut bowls and that was running a social media agency and my first business was creating an app a social networking app and um, i invested a lot of money into it a lot of time and never saw a cent back from it but it got me started and it, it taught me 
how to use social media to market your product or business. And, um, you know, fortunately, I, I'd done quite well in getting users for that app uh, at, at next to zero cost. So I learned how to do marketing uh, on social media. And then I essentially got in touch with cafes, restaurants, health food businesses, and offered the service of running their social media for them for for a fee and that was you know between four hundred dollars and it grew to grew to two thousand dollars a month per client and you know within a year of running this business i got up to 35 clients so that's just a sample of using a skill or a passion that i had um to be able to be somewhat successful self-employed and it wasn't that business was never going to make a million dollars or you know it definitely wasn't something that i saw longevity in because my clients were my boss <laughs> and I didn't have the freedom that I, that I yearned for. But, you know, that was just the first time I kind of understood how I could be self-employed and go down the path that I wanted to. And, you know, my core needs were met. I like it. And like you touched on at the start there, it just comes back to that having clarity of what your core values are. Um, yeah. All right. One more uh, and I'll let you go. So, you go from being a solopreneur, it's just you, uh, but like you alluded to, you've got a team and um, how, how do you go? Cause I think a lot of people get stuck there as well. well. I know I can relate to this. How do you go from just you to building a team of people to then, which you need obviously to grow the business to keep up with the demand. So I imagine there's some level of trust that you have to hand over to, the, to people that are taking on responsibility in the company. Was that a easy process for you? Was it tough? Um, yeah, how did you go about scaling your business? Yeah. Uh, to be honest, I'm still learning. So, right, okay. <laughs> so uh, something I definitely haven't mastered. Uh, I'm, you know, I'm, I've been reading a couple of books, listening to podcasts on, you know, being a manager and getting the right people into your your business um, a lot lately because it has it's something that I haven't had a lot of experience with, but. Um, and I've made a lot of mistakes along the way. Like um, I've been a boss essentially for five years now and I've employed people overseas, I've employed contractors, I've used agencies, I've employed people with me in the Melbourne office and now a Byron Bay office. Um, and I think the biggest thing, what I've learned is um, especially in a startup environment or a business like mine is – you don't really have a full-time role for somebody in a, in, in a strict kind of area of your business. People need to wear many hats. And what I've learned is and where I've had success with hiring people um, is hiring on attitude and having somewhat similar values to mine in the business. It's, it's allowed us to have um, a really great team business culture um, where we have fun, we achieve our targets, and um, we're walking away at the end of the day feeling, you know, quite good about ourselves because we've done something that we've enjoyed. Mm. Yeah, I love so that. it's a tough. It's a t- hiring's tough. It's really tough, and um, especially, you know, essentially the the salary is coming out of your pocket because you're paying somebody to, to make your life easier and that can be a hard thing to to do especially if you know you don't feel like you're getting the output from them as you would like um yeah. 
but I think the responsibility does come back on yourself um, because you need to be the right leader and, you know, if, if things aren't working, then you either need to, you know, talk to the, the employee and tell them that or look at ways you can improve um, the way that you're managing and being clearer in your communication. So, I love it, mate. I like how you said that you're still learning too. Uh, I think it's, it's it's one of the key messages I sort of share on this show and it's half the reason for doing the podcast is to be able to pick the brains of people like yourself, mate, obviously to have a laugh and, and meet interesting people but also learn a lot along the way. And I think having that approach or that, that attitude of being a learner and constantly sort of adapting and taking information, filtering it through what makes sense, what doesn't, and having uh, – yeah, just having that attitude, just it gets you a long way. So um, I'm glad you – Glad you said that and probably a perfect place to wrap things up, mate. So uh, where can people, I should, where can people get their coconut bowls, I should say, before we finish up? <laughs> uh, they can get their coconut bowls from coconutbowls.com. Um, pretty obvious. And uh, if you're not ready to buy them now, just follow our Instagram and I'm sure you'll want them soon enough. <laughs> I'm sure you'll there. <laughs> um, I shouldn't have looked at it halfway through this podcast. My bloody mouth's salivating now, but yeah. Um, yeah, I think the, the, thing, the, the one thing that is great about our products is that they're a segue to a healthy and sustainable lifestyle. Um, and, you know, whether or not that appeals to you or not, some people will look at this business and be like, why the hell do I want something like that? But it's, it's more than just the product itself. It's everything that it means. Um, and that's, that's why we're on a really good path. Jake, thanks for joining me, mate. Uh, it's been a pleasure. We'll stay connected and uh, good luck with everything that's happening in the in the COVID world right now. I'm sure you'll find a way to, to navigate through and um, I'm sure we can get you back on the show for another chat in a little period of time. Sounds great, Liam. Uh, thanks to the listeners and, uh, yeah, all the best with the podcast, mate. Uh, it's been a fun chat. Thanks again for listening to this episode. If you did enjoy it, if you got some sort of value from the episode, please do us a favor and subscribe to the channel. We've got lots more to come and share it with your friends and family. It all helps our mission of raising a million dollars towards brain injury recovery and research. So please share the podcast and I look forward to sharing more with you on another episode.
Thanks again for listening to this episode. If you did enjoy it, if you got some sort of value from the episode, please do us a favor and subscribe to the channel. We've got lots more to come and share it with your friends and family. It all helps our mission of raising a million dollars towards brain injury recovery and research. So please share the podcast and I look forward to sharing more with you on another episode.